right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Crying Moe's Tabletop Alchemy. How are you guys doing today? I hope everyone is doing well. I'm doing all right. I hope uh, I hope you had a good week of gaming, good week of hobbying, a good week of terrain crafting and miniature painting, all that good stuff. Let us pick up here at the top of the show. We're gonna do uh, like the format that I've sort of sort of tried to figure out here. So at the top of the show, we're gonna talk about uh, whatever the main topic of the show is. So the topic of this show, of course, is to continue where I left off with my own background of how I got into the hobby and everything. Where we left off last episode, I believe I had, uh, I was a, in 10th or 11th grade, I had just maybe, uh, I had just got, found the uh, R.A. Salvatore, the Forgotten Realms books, and I had just purchased the, uh, the, the Dungeons and Dragons Player's Handbook and the Dungeon Master's Guide. I think I had actually gotten also, I don't know if it was Unearthed Arcana. Uh, there was a book that they came out with that had, I think it was the one that had uh, the Cavalier in it. And I can't remember exactly which book or volume that was, but I'd gotten a hold of that one as well. I didn't really, I still didn't, I mean, I knew someone at the movie theater where I worked that had, that would game once in a while, but I only ended up playing maybe two games with that group because number one they actually lived pretty far away from where i lived and number two they didn't really play that often even though i would chat with that guy about the game and stuff from time to time but i was really finding myself gravitating towards dming right away like i was just you know growing up i had mentioned that i had you know written my first short story with or plagiarized my first short story in first grade and written a, a short story in fifth grade and i had from that moment on, I had basically determined for myself, I was like, oh, I'm going to grow up and be a writer. That's kind of what I thought I was going to do. I didn't really know anything about how that was going to happen, but I loved reading and I loved the idea of creating stories for other people. And so I guess dungeon mastering kind of came, you know, kind of, kind of seemed like the natural place to go. I loved the idea of creating, you know, this sort of map and like a, a uh, traps and things for people to, to run into, which is yeah, pretty odd because I never tried to design any other games. I never, I was never like a game designer or anything like that. Um, but I just like the idea of sort of telling the story and, and, um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, plus it was easier to be a dungeon master and try to, f and, and, and ask people if they wanted to play the game than it was trying to maybe find a game that was already running. I met a couple people through the theater where I worked and, um, I started to run a little, little campaign we probably ran three or four sessions um i remember it was winter time in the desert so at night it would be pretty cold and we'd have to play out in this kid's garage and we had like a little space heater and we were like sitting on these rickety camping chairs and you know rolling dice out there in the middle of the night and it was you know but say i was playing D and it was just it was awesome it was super, super cool so then i i uh you know now i'm moving into senior year of high school and uh i i remember um towards the end of my senior year of high school I signed up for the army because I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. Yeah, <laughs> I went to the army. Yeah, most people, when uh, they found out that I had joined the army, they were all like, every every single person that knew me looked at me with just this weird look in their eye. And they were just like, you did what? Like, how are you going to get by in the armed services? Because <laughs> I was definitely not a person who appreciated any type of authority and or regimentation or anything um yeah and it, actually the story behind that is basically getting towards the end of my senior year my senior year of high school I pretty much was at the start of senior year of high school I was I was done with school I disliked school at that point I was like I, I'm just done with this 
you know, I'm 17 years old. I was just tired of school. I was just tired of it. I was, I didn't see the point of it. I wanted to read the books I wanted to read. Like if there had been a class in, in fantasy role-playing, I would have aced that class. But no, there was, you know, calculus and, uh, you know, algebra and world history and stuff like that. I just, whatever. I just, I just couldn't be bothered. And um, I remember actually my senior year, I started, I, I finished, I, I finished my senior year at a different high school than I had gone to for the first three years of high school. And um, it was just another, like another city over. And as a senior, I, I had, at least in our school system, the school that I transferred from, the one I'd went to for three years, I knew there, like, as a senior, if you didn't want to take your electives, you actually could end up leaving school at, like, noon. You could take, like, four classes just to make sure you had all your credits to graduate, and then you would be off school at, at lunchtime, and you'd be free. And I was like, and I was working at the movie theater. I spent all my time at the movie theater because it was at the mall. And, you know, she was just, it was awesome, right? I could go there. I loved movies. I could go there and watch movies and, you know, for free. And uh, it was just magical. It was just a magical place to go to the movie. But anyway, so I just remembered, man, this is great. I'm going to be a senior. I've got all my classes. I take the four last classes. I'll get my two electives. I won't choose the electives. I'll just, I'll just go home early. But when I transferred to this other school, when I, I went in there to talk to the counselors and the, you know, the counselor said, all right, so you've got these four classes you have to take and uh, you need to take two electives. And I was like, I don't, what are you talking about? I don't want to take electives. Just let me go home at, at noon. And they were like, oh no, we don't do that anymore. You can't do that here. And I was, I was pissed. I was like, what do you No, man? I, I want to go. I don't know. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting to get out of school. And, uh, on top of that, the counselor said, you're going to take pre-calculus. And I looked at that guy and I was like, dude, why am I going to take pre-calculus? I barely passed algebra. I said, I'm not going to, I told him, I said, dude, I'm not going to pass that class. I said, if, if you give me that class, I'm going to sleep through it and I'm going to fail that class. I'm telling you right now. And this is kind of how ornery I was. And this is why people <laughs> were surprised when I joined the army. <laughs> so he, uh, the counselor made me take that class and he made me take weight training. Now I'm a really, well, I got a nice beer belly going now, but I'm a pretty thin person. I've been skinny my whole life, you know, kind of embarrassingly skinny sort of. But anyway, I was like, weight training. What are you guys, why are you doing this? Why do you make me take stuff I don't want to do? Why do you lock up my time? I got, I have adventures to write and characters to design and this is nuts and stupid. And uh, he was like, no, you're going to take these classes. And I was like, all right. So uh, I remember what, the first day that I had that pre-calculus class, I walked into that, walked up to the teacher and I said, hey, man, counselor's making me take this class. No offense to you. I'm going to sleep through this class, just so you know. And I literally went to my desk and put my head down every day of that class and slept through it. Drooled on my desk and everything. Yeah, because I was just not having it. I was not having it. Then that's just, I don't know. I see, okay, ramble. Chalk went up for rambling. There we go. I rambled a bunch of, about a whole bunch of stuff in high school. Yeah, that was all just to kind of give you the idea of like sort of my personality and why it was weird when I joined the service. And the reason I joined the service was by the time I had basically tanked my senior year of, of high school, um, I basically, you know, prior to my senior year, I, I pretty much had a, I think an A, maybe a, a high B low A GPA. It, it descended slowly through high school a little bit. So after high school, everybody's like, what are you going to do? Where are you going to school? Where are you going to, where are you going to college? And I was like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like number one, I don't have money for college. Like, you know, college now of course is like super expensive back 
back then it was still expensive. Like, like it wasn't as expensive by any means, but for me and my myopic brain said, I was, I didn't think about loans or anything like that. I just didn't want to go back to school. I think I was just like, I can't afford to go to the, to college. They're not going to let me study what I want to study anyway. I went to the junior college and asked them about, like, I wanted to take like writing classes because I was, I was digging short story writing. So, but the junior college was like, well, no, you have to take prerequisites, all your basic classes. And I was like, I don't want to take this. If I'm going to college, why do I have to take prerequisites? I want to just take the classes I want to take. And they were like, no, you got to take prerequisites. And I was like, oh man, you know, I was working at a movie theater. I was like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to support myself. I don't know what I'm going to do when I have to get out of the house. And, uh, a high number of my friends, I knew a lot of people that happened to just be joining the Navy. I don't know why. I don't know what was going on, but I probably knew 10 to 15 people that joined the Navy. I'm pretty influenced by movies <laughs> as well. And I remember um, watching the movie Say Anything. And at the end of that movie, John Cusack, I don't remember the character's name, but John Cusack and Ione Sky, you know, they get on a plane and they fly to Europe. And I was like, that is, sounds cool. Like, I want to just go to Europe. How, how would I do that? Oh, oh, the military would send me to Europe. Yeah, I guess that would be the only way I would be able to do that. So I went down to the, to the recruiter's office to join the Navy. Now, the recruiter's office was one of those recruiters. I don't know if they do these anymore, but back when in, in my town back then, there was a recruiter's office. Like, there was an armed forces recruiter's office. So it had... Each branch of the military service had a had an office in that recruiter's service, from the Coast Guard to the Army, Air Force, Navy, and the Marines. And I went in and talked to the naval recruiter because that's where I literally knew all these kids that were going to the Navy. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go talk to the Navy recruiter, whatever. I'll, I'll just go do that. So I rolled in there, and I went walked right into the Navy, the naval recruiter, recruiter's office, and I was going to sign that day. So I walked in there. And I had a little conversation with him. I pretty much told him, I said, yeah, man, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready to sign up. You know, what do I, what do I sign up? And he was like, this is too easy. Let me, let me tell you some things about blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. I, you know, fine. Just let me sign up. And he brought up the contracts, filled them out. And I had the pencil in my hand or the pen in my hand to sign that contract to join the Navy. And I remember in, I had preset the notion in my head that I only wanted to do two years of military service because I knew that was a particular enlistment time. And I was like, yeah, that's all I want to do. I'm not signing up for anything more than that. So right when I was about to sign this contract, I looked at him. I said, so this is for two years, right? And the naval recruiter looked at me and said, he said, no, it's for four years. He said, we, we don't have a two-year enlistment. He's like, if you join the Navy, you have to join for four years. So I set the pen down on the paper and I stood up and I was like, okay, I'm sorry, man. I can't do that. And I walked out into the hallway and in the hallway, standing next to the door, listening this whole time was the army recruiter and he literally put his arm around my shoulder and walked me into his office he said son come here <laughs> and he was a really cool guy he was actually a really cool guy i don't think he he didn't lie to me or anything but he was a very cool guy this this uh, particular army recruiter but he assured me not only did i could i guarantee could they guarantee me a two-year enlistment but because there wasn't a wartime when i signed up this was prior to the first gulf war i was in service during the first gulf war and uh, he said, I could actually choose my destination of where I wanted to go. And it would be guaranteed. He said, unless, you know, unless war breaks out, it's guaranteed that we'll send you where you sign the contract right now is where you'll go. And, I, and so he had to show me these, 
these videotapes of all the different jobs. So the number one thing to know when, when I, you know, when you join the service for two years is two year enlistments are only allowed for people that are joining a combat arms MOS. At least that was the case when I joined. So that was the one caveat was like, yeah, you can have a two year enlistment, but you have to go something combat arms. Yeah. I had to, so I looked at videotapes. He had all these videotapes that would show they were like promo movies, like promo reels for each of the the jobs that I could potentially enlist for. There was like literally a shelf of VHS tapes labeled by job. There was infantry and I watched the tape for that and I was like, I, I don't want to go infantry. That's just like, that's just boring. That's like, you know, I, I just, in my head, I was like, it's infantry. Everybody's infantry. I, I don't know. There was artillery and I was like, those are, I don't know, they, they're carrying very large bullets around. It just seemed heavy. It seemed like a lot of work. There was, um, you know, there was tanker driving around in big tanks and stuff. And I was like, I don't know, you know, I was looking at, and then there was this one that came up now, bear in mind, this does all tie into my, my Dungeons and Dragons fantasy mindset, which is absurd. I know that I'm just sort of, I'm just rambling. I'm just rambling, babbling about my own interior thought process and stuff. So there, then the next videotape he pulled up was cavalry scout. And I was like, scout. There's scouts in the, in in D and D. That sounds like a ranger. <laughs> so, so I watched this videotape for cavalry scout. Cav scout is what they're called for short. And the t- videotape was so cool because they were like kind of a hybrid between infantry and tankers. Uh, specifically, they had very small armored vehicles that would sort of look like it would get them where they were going. Then, so I was like, oh, they're not walking anywhere. They're they're riding vehicles. That's cool because I hate walking. So there's that. And then they showed them like, man, they're sneaking around all behind enemy lines. And they get trained, Cav Scouts get trained on a huge array of weaponry and tactics. So they're not, so they know all the infantry stuff, but they also get taught in like demolitions and things like that. And and I was like, this is it, man. I'm a Cav Scout. Sign me up, dude. I was like, sign me up. He was like, okay, cool. You want to do that? So the only difference is, uh, he's, then he says, uh, okay, well, what, okay. And, and where do you want to go? He said, you want to go to Korea? And I was like, huh? No, I don't think I want to go to Korea. You know where I, I, I didn't not want to go to Korea, but I was like, what are your, what are your choices? And when he said, you can go to Korea, you can go to, uh, possibly you could go to Hawaii. That was a stretch though. And then, but he said, uh, and I was like, do you have any, like, wh- what do you have in Europe? And he was like, well, you can go to Germany. And I was like, score. I was like, you're going to send me to Germany for two years for free, like, like straight up like medieval knights and castles. And I was like, dude, I want to go to Germany. Sign me up. He's like, okay, there's one caveat to that. There's always something, right? He says, if you want to go overseas uh, for a guaranteed deployment to an overseas destination, then you still get your two-year enlistment, but you have to literally, literally live overseas for two years. So your training has to be extra time. And I was like, okay, that's fine. That's, and it was like an extra 16 weeks, uh, I think. Yeah, 16 weeks, 18 weeks, something like that. Um, because for Cav Scouts, and I think it, I don't know if it's the same for infantry and for tankers, but um, I think it might be. So Cav Scouts had what's called OSAD, one station unit training. So basically, normal basic training for uh, the armed services is eight weeks. And then you go and do a, a secondary training school and whatever whatever it is that your specialty is right so um if you were signed up to be 
you know, a tank mechanic, you would do eight weeks of basic training and then you would go and do, you know, eight weeks or 10 weeks or 12 weeks of your actual mechanic school or whatever that was. But combat arms MOSs, since you weren't actually learning anything beyond the combat arms stuff, you just had like basically a double length basic training. And, um, man, there were some, yeah, I got stories from that too. It was, it was pretty wild. So anyway, I was like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. If I get to go to Germany, man, that's cool. Sign me up. Boom. So I signed up when I was 17. I had to get my parents to sign a a release form because I I, I turned 18 in the summer and then I was actually going to leave to go to basic training right after I turned 18. I I left for Fort Knox, Kentucky in like August of that, of the year that I joined. Um, so anyway, so I signed up and then I went and told everybody, Hey, I signed up for the army and everybody was like, what, what are you talking about? You know, anyway, so, um, yeah, so I did that. I had long hair too. I'd finally grow my hair out and, uh, I was like, Oh man, I got to cut my hair, all that stuff. Anyway. So I don't even know why I was telling that entire story about joining the army. I guess that's because I, well, I guess the, 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 the long and short of it is I was just kind of getting across uh, just more of my journey of, of getting into the game. So basically when I was, uh, when I went overseas with the army, I, um, you know, I had to ship personal items, um, if I wanted anything over there. So I shipped all my D and D books cause that's really all I had. So over there in the service, I started running some games for some, uh, some, of my, some of my buddies, you know, n- not very many. I mean, we didn't play like a ton of stuff because, you know, I'm 18 years old and I'm in Germany and we're allowed to drink beer, uh, or alcohol or whatever. So of course, you know, it was mostly, mostly about, mostly I wasted my time in Germany. I would, you know, I, I was really, really stupid. Um, I did absolutely waste my time over there. I would love to go back and see all the stuff that I, I, I missed, but I definitely have some, some good memories and stuff. Um, I used to go on the weekends when we weren't drinking at bars or whatever, I would go, you know, just walk around the, 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 the small town that uh, I was stationed in. Uh, I was stationed in Schweinfurt and uh, I would go like on Saturdays to the market plots, market plots, uh, like the marketplace. And it was, I just remember so crazy. Like these buildings there were like 800 years old, you know, and there's cobblestones all over the road. I mean, it was, it was so cool. Like it was very, very cool. I mean, I grew up in the desert. I was like Luke Skywalker on Tatooine, you know, grew up in a place that had two sons, was 140 degrees in the summer. I'm exaggerating. It was so awesome to go to Germany. And I don't like the snow. I do not like the snow, but it was so green, like just this vibrant green. And you could be driving like in a Jeep or something on the Autobahn and you'd go down a hill and there would be fog sitting at the bottom of this hill. It was just amazing there was just it was just amazing for me amazing things and i saw i literally you know some of our our the areas where we would go do war games with the tanks and stuff there were ruins like there were fortress ruins of like castles and weird just fortresses from like the 1600s and the 1500s like just out on the hillside it was i don't know it was so cool it was so cool there there's just they have so much history over there right over here if you go to a cemetery over here, all of our cemeteries in the States look the same with the flat headstones and everything. Not, not all of them, but most of them. But cemeteries in, in Germany, like the, the ones that I saw were just, they looked like those classic, just, you know, huge mausoleums and gothic headstones. And like, I don't know, man, I really liked Germany. I really, really liked it. It was very cool. So I could do a whole podcast just on my experiences in the army and, and, and going, uh, going to Germany. But man, I rambled a whole bunch and this is not even remotely about anything to do with the hobbies and stuff. So I'm not sure 
what I should do with stuff like this. Cause now I'm thinking, man, there's stories about basic training I would like to tell. And there's stories about in the army I'd like to tell that are not game, game related, hobby related. So I don't know. You guys let me know if you want me to tell you some stories about basic training stuff, specifically maybe the gas chamber. <laughs> I like, I like telling that story. I don't know. Let me, let me get, let me see if I can bring this back to, to the game a little bit. And, and, uh, before I, I move on from my, yeah, yeah. Before I move on from my experiences in, in the military. Um, so yeah, so like I said, I, I ran, I ran a few games for a small group of guys, you know, three to four guys. Um, one time I ended up running the game, like a lot of guys in my platoon heard we were doing it. And then at, at one point, I think there were like 12 people that wanted to play. And I ran a game for 12 people and I was like, this sucks. I mean, it's, it was just, that was, it was bad. It was bad trying to do that. So anyway, eventually um, I got out of the service, um, and I, I, you know, got home, uh, back to where I used to live. Uh, I stayed with, uh, both of my parents for a little bit, um, kind of dragged my feet trying to get out of my, out of my dad's house, you know, like, just like, you know, I didn't want to have to, I was living on the money I had left over that I, I had left over with me from the military and didn't have a job yet. So, um, but he was like, man, you gotta, you gotta get out of this house, man. <laughs> It's like, all right, okay, cool, I get it. So, um, found a roommate, and uh, the roommate I found um, was a guy I had gone to high school with. I was pretty good friends with him, and um, he was he was way into D and D. He I didn't know it, but he played for like he played since he was a, a kid. He was still living at home as well, and he was going. Uh, we were both going to the junior college, I think, and I started going to the junior college because I could just I had I wanted to, I used my GI bill to live on that money, and I had to go to college to get that money. And I started taking English classes and short story classes, short story writing classes, creative writing classes. Good Lord. So anyway, so he and I like uh, met up and we're like, cool, let's get a, an apartment together. So we got an apartment and that worked out nicely. And it turned out that our apartment was within walking distance just down the street of a new hobby shop that had opened up. Half the hobby shop was model kits like cars and world war ii and planes stuff like that and the other half was all gaming stuff it was all it was all D D and warhammer and like all it was all this stuff with miniatures and paints and like all this stuff i'd never seen before and had no idea about but they had a display case that had miniatures that were in there that that you know other people that went to the store um had painted and stuff and I would look at some of these miniatures and I'd be like, this is amazing. And I was like, we can play D&D &D with these? Like we could, you know, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize, you know, we could, we could actually have these figures and put them on the map. And, and these were early like Rao Partha figures. And um, I remember buying some Rao Partha figures and some paints. And the guy who, so the, the store was owned uh, by a gentleman whose son helped him run it. And his son was our age. So we met him and we all just hit it off right away, and uh, we formed uh, a gaming group. And there were with some other people that we knew from high school. We formed a weekly gaming group, and um, we started out playing some D and D. But right around this time, uh, I found out that there was a gaming convention called Orcon, and I found out recently that that convention still goes on. It happens in a, in a hotel next to LAX. It's been going strong for, I guess, like 50 years or something, or 40 years. I had no idea, but you go and stay at this hotel, you stay all weekend, and you, you play all, you can, all these people are there to play role-playing games, and you can see all this stuff. I was like, mind blown. I was like, what, what is this? What, what is this? We have to go. And we got, we all 
pitched in and we got um, got a hotel room. And at Oricon, we signed up. There were games you could sign up for. And I had seen in the hobby shop, I had seen this game called Shadowrun. And Shadowrun is kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, but the cyberpunk version of that. And some people out there probably, I mean, absolutely know what Shadowrun is. There's probably maybe some people out there that don't. But anyway, that's basically what it is. It's 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 the future. It's cyberpunk. It's William Gibson sort of cyberpunk land. But magic has returned to the world, and so have elves and orcs and shamans and wizards and you know mages and and then there's hackers and cybernetic you know warriors, street samurai, all this stuff. And uh, for some reason, I don't normally like stuff like that. I don't normally like mixing genres, and I don't know why Shadowrun kind of clicked with me. I, I don't. I don't really know why, but I didn't buy any of those books at first. I was just like, this looks really cool. It just looked very interesting. And when we signed up to go to Oricon, there were, you could sign up for games to play. And I said, and there was a game for beginners to play Shadowrun. And I was like, oh, I'm signing up for that, dude. So me and my buddy signed up for one of those sessions. So when we went to Oricon, um, again, I was just amazed. I was like walking. It was my first, it was my first time going to any kind of game convention or convention of any type. I had just had no idea that these things existed. And, uh, you know, so to see like the, I remember there was a, a table set up that must've been, I don't even know how big it was. It was, it was enormous. It must've been 15, maybe 10 feet on a side, 10 by 10. And it was a, a full 28 millimeter scale, like castle with a village and a forest and people were playing Dungeons and Dragons on it. And I, and I was like, I don't, I don't understand what I'm looking at, man. This is insane. This is crazy. It, it takes me a long time to like grasp concepts and get into them. So I, I never went home and was like, I got to build like terrain. That never occurred to me to do that. But again, I wasn't exposed. We had no internet. So I didn't see like stuff come up all the time and to be able to get ideas from other people. But anyway, we signed up for the Shadowrun game. So we went and sat in the Shadowrun game. This is the takeaway from this. That particular game when uh, it was run by a guy who was, you know, who knew Shadowrun really well. And he was an excellent, excellent game master. When he ran that game, it clicked in my head. I was like, oh, this is how you, this is how you tell the story. This is how you run the game for people. He was, I can remember even just now today, sitting here right now, I can remember his, him phrasing certain things where he made the action sound like a movie and it just made our characters sound and seem so cool in our heads. I was like, this, this is amazing. Like he sold that game to me basically. But what he actually sold me was the experience of real honest to goodness, like having a, a real GM run a good game for you. And I was like, that is awesome. That guy was fantastic. So basically, the the end result of all of that is I bought the Shadowrun rulebook and then I went down a Shadowrun rabbit hole for a year. We, we our gaming group back in the desert at, at uh, our apartment, we played once or twice a week. I think probably probably once a week uh, just because we all had we all had jobs and whatever. And um, and I ran the game and we, we played for a year straight. It was really, really fun. It was it was very cool. So during the course of that year, I, I, I kept going, I would always, you know, hang out a lot at the hobby store and I met a friend of mine whose name is, um, well, we'll keep names out of it for now. I don't know. Someday I might want to actually interview 
this uh, this friend of mine if he'll ever do it on the podcast because he is actually a genius model maker. His miniature painting was mind blowing to me. I, I couldn't get over how good his stuff was. But anyway, um, through him, I actually was exposed to Warhammer. So I was introduced to, to Warhammer and I started that leg of my journey, which really brought home the, uh, you know, brought home the miniature aspect of things. So, but we'll pick that up later. This is way, way too much stuff, right? For, uh, for one episode. So let's, uh, let's not wrap up storytelling for today. <laughs> the main topic for today. And, uh, let's do a little bit of hobby progress and media consumption, media consumption. I got to come up with a different name for that, right? We'll do the hobby progress section. And then the section called something cool. All right. So let's move on. So I don't know. I don't know what this is. This is just section section Charlie. Yeah. Section Charlie for now. <laughs> section Charlie. Okay. So welcome to section Charlie. Let's, let's go from there. Let's go with this. All right. So basically I know last episode I babbled on about the game Frostgrave and about Kelsey Dion's The Arcane Library. Uh, but I realized after the fact and I'm a little embarrassed by it, but this might happen a lot. I realized that I said a lot of this. Oh, this thing is so awesome. I love it because it's so awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. I never actually explained like why I think these products are awesome. So I need to, re I need to remedy that. And I need to actually like, you know, do my job as a decent podcaster or whatever, whatever the heck my job is supposed to be here but I should basically explain why I think something is awesome that I need to hold myself to that to that crazy standard which is not a crazy standard at all it's like a normal normal person standard all right let's talk about Frostgrave both of these I want to talk about briefly uh, I guess if I can can I be brief Cryomo can be brief he is not brief okay so why do I like Frostgrave now this is again from the perspective of a person who has only read the books I have not played the game yet I've just read the rules and I haven't played the game yet. First off, I was very intrigued by the fact that somebody wrote a game where you could use whatever miniatures you had that weren't, you know, specific. Even though Dungeons and Dragons is a game like that because you don't have to even use miniatures with D&D, &D, right? Of course, and if you do, you, there's no there's nobody saying use this, that, or whatever miniature. Frostgrave is specifically a tactical, you know, a skirmish. Basically, we call it a skirmish game, right? Because there's basically a war game, a tabletop war game with miniatures, but it's skirmish sized, meaning your your force or your, in the case of Frostgrave, your war band is only 10, 10 or less miniatures, basically, right? Which to me was point number two that I really liked, which is the idea that um, a skirmish game allows me to get away with only painting 10 or so miniatures per side because, uh, you know, get into a game of, of Warhammer or Kings of War or something like that, and you know, thousand points and two thousand points and whatever, and you've got to paint just a hundred miniatures, you know, and it's like, okay, that that is cool, but that is uh, we gotta we gotta be realistic here. <laughs> so, so I like the idea. So that really appealed to me was a a game that you could use that was miniature company agnostic, and it was skirmish based, so small forces. There are other rule sets out there, such as. A Song of Blades and Heroes, which I actually purchased that PDF a while ago. Um, it's like 12 bucks. And it's a, a, a game developer in Italy wrote that, that those 
that set of rules, again, to let you do basically skirmish war games, you know, with any miniatures that you have. And I read that rule set and I was like, this is pretty awesome. I really want to do this. And I was planning to play a song of blazing heroes for a long time. I just started building up my miniature collection again. So I, you know, was starting from scratch and I was always intended to go play that game. But then upon hearing Joseph McCullough's interview and, and then seeing other people like Frostgrave sort of come up online and stuff and seeing people talk about it made me very interested in the book. When the author talked about what it what it was like to build a war band. So the idea is that you have, you know, this this ruined city full of magic items and, and treasure, and you both war bands or competing war bands are led by wizards who hire their men at arms and go in and battle it out to grab these treasures. For some reason that really like I was like, this sounds really cool. It sounds like Blades a song of Blades and Heroes, but it sounded more I don't really know why one sounded better than the other. I think they're equally cool games and cool rule sets. Maybe it was just because I listened to this author talk about something and it, and it made me purchase the first book. And once I read the first book, I really, really enjoyed the clarity of the rule set, the simplicity of the rule set, and reading through the books, uh, I really enjoyed the campaign aspect that uh, Joseph basically imbued his game with it really is a game that's that's built around the idea of kind of taking the leveling up aspect the building up of characters from like a role-playing game and marrying that with the tactics you know the tabletop tactics of a miniatures based skirmish game so i thought that was very cool it seemed just it just seems it seems like it'll be pretty cool to run your war band and your wizard will go up in levels and the idea that at the end of every game you know if if he gets uh if your if your wizard gets knocked out or you know quote unquote killed during the game he's not killed he's taken off the board but at the end of a game at the end of each match then you for every wizard that is knocked out of that match they have to roll on the wounding table and the idea that your wizard could come back in the next match like missing an eye or he's got all his toes chopped off, right? So he's got these negatives. Um, he's got these penalties to his dice roll, to certain dice rolls, you know, for this, that, and the other thing because of these these war wounds that he's accumulating. But at the same time, he's he is leveling up with experience points and he's gaining more skills and new spells and whatever. I really like that aspect of the game. That really appealed to me. And I didn't know that that would appeal to me. It just, once I read it in that book, I was like, oh, that sounds... That sounds really cool. Or once I heard him talk about that, I was like, this sounds pretty awesome. I need to check it out. And then there was also the idea that, yeah, you can build terrain. I don't know. Sometimes you don't know why something clicks with you, right? Sometimes you're just like, I don't know why that... Like, why did why did Dungeons & Dragons actually hook my interest? I actually don't know. I don't really know why. Although I was thinking about this. <laughs> Tangent cam. <laughs> Tangent mic. That's what it is. I was thinking about this earlier, like, okay, why did Dungeons and Dragons hook me? Like, why did the, because my parents like read me, I think they read to us, me and my brothers and sisters, they read us The Hobbit at some point, And that did not hook me. That the reading of Tolkien did not get me into fantasy fiction. What got me into fantasy fiction, I realize, is Peter Pan. When I was six years old or five years old, I saw the Peter Pan cartoon. And... Shortly after that, I saw the Robin Hood cartoon, both of those from Disney. 
Peter Pan is probably one of my favorite uh, books ever. And stemming from Peter Pan is, and stemming from Peter Pan and Robin Hood, that is where my love of the fantasy genre, sword and sorcery, that whole aesthetic, I just loved it. I loved Captain Hook. I mean, who doesn't, right? I, I don't know why. It's so dashing and debonair and just, you know, romantic in the in the in the seventeenth century form of the word romantic. Like it, it romanticism was like action and adventure and and swashbuckling all wrapped into like this 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 idea of uh, I don't know what. Anyway, Three Musketeers loved it. I don't know why swords and 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 I don't know why I don't ever want to fight get in a sword fight with real swords like I don't know that would be terrifying <laughs> I it would be terrible just like I don't want to be in a real sort uh, real gunfight of course you know but um yeah so I guess we don't ever really know why something hooks us right I like I don't know why Peter Pan hooked me I, I don't really know why or, or Robin Hood for that matter you know why those things hooked me more so than say like Star Wars hooked me as well. I loved Star Wars. It was fantastic. You know, I it took over my life, you know, for a bunch of years when I was a kid, but I never lost that love of Peter Pan or Robin Hood, that sort of a thing. So I don't know. That's where I guess I was just thinking back. So I don't know how, I don't even know what tangent I went on, but I know I was talking about Frostgrave and why I like it. I was trying to pinpoint why I like Frostgrave and I can't really say exactly why it just certain things all added up and it was like, Oh, try this game out. All right, I'll try it out. I love the simplicity of the writing. I love the, it's like, it's one of those deceptively simple products where putting that stuff together took a lot of work, a lot of imagination, a lot of playtesting, but it distills down into this very accessible and simplified rule set and world. And the fact that throughout the books, the author actually says things like, These, this here is a guideline. This is an idea. Take it and make it your own. I really, I like that, which is kind of weird. That's weird as well, because it's weird for me because I actually am usually like a pretty, um, like I never got into that game. There's a game, a role-playing game called GURPS, right? It's not a role-playing game. It's a role-playing system um, made by Palladium Books, right? Or published by Palladium, GURPS. Something like generic something RPG, um, or something like that. I can't remember the exact actual, I could look this up online, of course. I don't remember the actual acronym, what it's for, but it was like a role-playing system that was like, it was generic. It was like, here's a set of rules. Now you can apply that to whatever kind of game you want. Here's our science fiction supplement. Here's our fantasy supplement. Here's our cyberpunk supplement. Here's our whatever, it's the Greek God supplement. And I compared to D&D, I was like, I was a snob. I was like, no get that out of here. I don't want that randomized nonsense that you can just play all these different games with the same rule set. No, I love this beautiful, like encapsulating, like full universe of D and D like it's one thing. So the Frostgrave, maybe that's why I like it too, because it, it does encourage you to create your own stories. I, I think that's ultimately what it is, is Frostgrave is like a, a closed system, but the author encourages you to be creative within that enclosed system, right? So create your own things within the Frostgrave world, right? Or whatever. So it still feels like I'm in an enclosed system. I'm not just randomly going to, you know, go to the old West town and then go to the sci-fi. I don't know. There's just something about that. I, I don't, I'm not saying that anyone who likes GURPS or 
likes other kinds of things is is wrong or not. That stuff is it's wonderful that all that stuff is out there. It is. It's totally awesome. It's just that stuff doesn't appeal to me as much. And it's purely from like an it's almost like an aesthetic thing. Like I like the aesthetics of like a of a the continuity of like a certain art style or whatever. I should try to like boil this stuff down even more simply to explain, but but anyway, there you go. So so that's why I like frost grape. I, I just that's why I like it. Man, this is a long episode. I can't this is not normal. I don't think this is normal. I, my my intention was to make thirty minute episodes, but hmm. We'll see. We'll see how much of this you well, who knows? Maybe I edit this down, whatever. But anyway, um and I was also gonna touch on Kelsey Dion's The Arcane Library, but I think that's worth its own her products are worth their own section Charlie. Is that what we're calling this? Section Charlie. Makes no sense. Oh man, episode 52, I'll be like, and now, and now it's time for Section Charlie. And people who first w- listen to the podcast, you know, this is all pie in the sky thing. And I, I'm even going to make 52 episodes, but they might be like, Section, why is this called Section Charlie? And we'll be like, everyone will be like, hey, you got to go back and listen to episode two. That's where it got named. <laughs> anyway, okay. So we'll save uh, Arcane Library. I'll make a note and I'll do that for um, episode three. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for episode two. I hope you guys enjoyed the enjoyed today's episode. Definitely hit me up on YouTube or Instagram or Patreon. Drop me a note at any of those places. You can drop me a note at crymo.com through the email. Let me know what you think about the, the podcast in general. Good, bad, otherwise, whatever. Hope you guys have a wonderful week, and I will catch you very soon. Take care. Bye.